0: Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Please welcome Pastor Thank you so much. Israel's got a lot of stuff up here, but Israel also didn't mention that I'm also I've also been working on helping with the fish. My friend Graham and I went out fishing for about three and a half hours, and I got a bite. I saw its head, but it got away. Um, So we're gonna head back out, and so so hopefully they're not relying on me to. I've got got some work to do and my fishing skills. So anyway. Anywho, that was supposed to be a funny thing. So, all right. So today we are kicking off we are kicking off our series on the outward journey. Hey, uh, Shad, can you wherever you are? Can you change the input into the? He's gone. He's missing. He's your main man. Can somebody the magic the magic button? It'll be all right. So, everybody's racing. Good. Um, so, today we're launching our series on the outward journey. And the outward journey is the, the journey in our faith where we uh, live out this call to extend the, the love of God, the, the kingdom of God, to our friends and our family, our community, and ultimately to the whole world. Thank you so much, friends. And the outward journey... Uh, really is kind of the, the culmination of the other two journeys that we've been talking about for the last eight months, right? The, the inward journey where we deal with our, our heart issues and get uh, our, our hearts healed up. Uh, and a great way to do that is through the Healing and Restoration uh, class that's going to be coming in a couple weeks, so take advantage of that. But we also get to know God. That is the upward journey, getting to know the Father, getting to know Jesus in this, The purpose of these things isn't just an end in and of themselves, but to propel us into the outward journey. If you think back way to the beginning of the year, we talked about, used a definition for spiritual growth by a gentleman by the name of um, Robert Mulholland. He wrote a book called Invitation to a Journey, and he said that spiritual growth is the process of... Uh, being trans- the process of being transformed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. And this idea of for the sake of others cannot be left off of our our uh, definition of spiritual growth. We don't get our hearts healed up, we don't get to know God just so that we can enjoy our prayer time in our closet, right? Just so, though that is important and valid, the purpose of getting to know God, getting healed up, is so that we can make a difference in the life of others, so that we can show the the love of Jesus Christ to our friends, families, communities, and ultimately into the entire world. So if you miss everything else I say today, if you Fall asleep immediately after my introduction. The one thing that I want you to take home today is that when Jesus says, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you, he is saying that not just to the the disciples in the narrative that we're going to look at in a little bit, but he is saying that to each and every one of us. There's no excuse. We are not excluded from this call of Jesus. As the Father has sent me, he says, I am sending you. All right, so let's say this together. As the Father sent Jesus, Jesus is sending me. We're going to say that all together. Amber loves it when we all say things in unison. So, all right, so as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Jesus is is saying that to each and every one of us. So let's look at our passage today. It's in John chapter 20, verses 19 to 23. I'm pretty confident I put it on the slides here. Oh, hey, you could have read it. That would have been a lot easier. Let's try it again. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Okay, that would have been easier. Okay, here's our passage. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And so this this passage takes place in the the Gospel of John after Jesus' death on the cross, after his resurrection. All right, and they, the, the disciples have just kind of come back from the tomb. They are nervous, they are worried, they are, they're scared, they don't know what's going on. They expected that Jesus was the Messiah, and now he has been crucified, he's been killed, he's been hung on, on a cross. Maybe they were mistaken the whole time. And they are waiting for the Jewish leaders for Rome to, to come and do to them what they had just done to Jesus Christ, to, to arrest him, to beat him, to hang him on a cross. It could have happened to any one of them because the, the, the Jewish synagogue and, and Rome wanted to teach people a lesson. You don't mess with Rome, you don't mess with the synagogue. And so they're in this upper room, uh, they're scared. Mary had come and called them and said the the, the stone is rolled away so they had, John and and Peter had run to the tomb they'd seen the the empty tomb the the clothes lying there they didn't know what was going on and in confusion they walk back but Mary outside the tomb encounters Jesus but yet the, the disciples hadn't seen Jesus they'd heard Mary's story probably and they're like what is going on They're nervous. They're scared. And so as we we look at these five verses today, we're going to see how Jesus encounters these worried and fearful men. We're going to see how he transforms them, how he replaces their worry with peace. How he replaces their fear with joy. And then how he fills them with the Holy Spirit and sends them into the world for the sake of others. And as I've already said, each one of us has been given the same calling as the Father sent Jesus. Jesus is sending me. We have been given this message of peace, and we are going to see that our inadequacies, our shortcomings, are resolved through our own encounter with Jesus and the empowerment through the filling of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so we're going to start here in John 20, verse 19, and Jesus appears to these guys, right, out of nowhere, the doors are locked, suddenly Jesus, who they thought was dead, shows up and says, peace be with you. Mm -hmm. And this wouldn't wouldn't have been a surprising thing to say, this was a very common greeting, it still is a common greeting in the Middle East today, but here Jesus is doing way more than just greeting his friends, right? He's actually kind of summing up all of his work, all of the, the reason for his presence in the world. Jesus comes and declares, peace be with you. And Jesus, a few uh, chapters before this, had been talking to his disciples uh, in what is called, the, the I think it's called, the, the scholars call it the final discourse, where Jesus is interacting with his disciples and kind of giving them his, his last teaching in the Gospel of John before he goes to the cross. And in this final discourse, as he's talking to his disciples, he says, I'm going to bring you peace. I promise to give you peace. And they're probably like, that would be great, Jesus, if you would stop talking about how you're going to die. We would, be, we would have a lot more peace in this time, right? And so they're like, what are, what are you talking about? You're going to bring us peace. Okay, we believe you. Oh, wait, he died on the cross. Where's our peace? Now we're in big, big trouble. But Jesus had promised them peace and here, in here, in chapter 20, verse 19, he brings them peace. And now in this moment, he doesn't change any of their external circumstances, right? There's still a great chance the the Romans and the Jewish leaders are after them, right? There's there's nothing that has changed in their their external circumstance, but everything has changed, right? They are in a completely different place. No longer are they struggling with, how do I follow a dead man? Now, Now we see the resurrected Messiah standing in front of us. And so in the midst of even this crazy, terrible, difficult situation, Jesus brings peace. And the same peace that Jesus brings to the disciples, he gives to us. Right? In the midst of our hectic lives, in the midst of our troubles and our worries, in the midst of trying to figure out how we're going to pay for our car that broke down, Jesus comes and gives us peace. In the, in, the, in the middle of trying to figure out what to do, I, you know, my child has, has rejected the Lord and, and run off, and I don't know what he's doing. Right? You know, Jesus, in the midst of that, can bring us peace. In the midst of a, a, a diagnosis with, with cancer or whatever, in the midst of the craziness of life, he gives us peace. In the midst of persecution, Jesus brings peace the reality is that peace is the gift of his kingdom. Peace is the gift of Jesus' kingdom. And now, after the resurrection, he has delivered it. And now he has delivered it to us, and we are to deliver it to our world, to our spheres of influence. Okay, so how do we live this out? How do we give out this peace that we receive from Jesus? From an encounter with God. Well, if you remember last week, Cameron uh, wrapped up our series from Psalm 6. Yeah, Psalm 6, the the, the things that that God hates, right? And, And God hates discord in the community or conflict in the community. And so here we see that Jesus comes to bring peace. Peace with God and peace with one another, right? The opposite of conflict. That makes sense, right? And so we now, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we who were once estranged from God, who, who, we who were the enemies of God, shaking our fist in defiance at him, living our own lives, deserving hell, right? Jesus comes and brings us peace. And because we have peace from God, we can cease from our striving in our works and our need to be in power, our need to be in control, our need to manipulate and dominate and get our own way. Right? Those things all bring conflict. Those things all bring discord in the community. But when we have an internal peace with Jesus, we can carry that internal peace into every realm of our lives. doesn't matter what's going on, what's swirling uh, around us, we can have peace. I saw a, a video popped up on my Facebook feed earlier this week, and it was in uh, a shelter uh, in Texas, af- in Houston, after, uh, or during Hurricane Harvey. And, um, and it's this, this place where all these people have come, they've lost their homes, they've lost their possessions, they don't know what's going on, they don't know what tomorrow looks like. And in the midst of this chaos, this woman and a couple of her friends stand up and start singing these gospel songs. I don't know if anybody else saw it, but it was like, that is it. Right? That is a picture of the peace of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I lost my house. That kind of sucks, right? I, you know, I don't know where we're going to live. I don't know how I'm going to feed my family. I don't know what's going on. It doesn't seem like this is right. What? Oh, I'm so, this is difficult. But in the midst of that difficulty and that pain, they stand up and go, You know who's worthy? You know who's good no matter what? It is God the Father. It is Jesus Christ. And I know that I'm going to be okay because I'm with Him. I'm standing with Jesus and I have an internal peace that transcends all of these external circumstances. Jesus told his disciples, they will know you are my disciples, they will know you are Christians by your love. You will know you are Christians by your love. And later on, he says that the world knows the Father's love because of our unity. And so as we press into this unity, into this peace that God gives us, when we lay our own lives down, exalting other people, we come into unity as the Christian community, and it is that unity that is a declaration of the Father's love to those outside of the Christian community. Gives them an opportunity to know who God is, to know who Jesus is, as we live in unity with one another. So, peace brings us peace with God and peace in our Christian community. But it also brings us peace in the community that we live in, here in Vandalia or in Cass County or Cassopolis. Uh, we are looking to make positive impact in our sphere of influence. In the, in the greater world, outside of our little bubble of the Christian community. And in Colossians 4, I wish I had time to, to dive into this this passage more but you can you can read Colossians 4 for yourself and see what Paul is talking about. But he's showing the the Christians in Colossae how to interact with within the the Christian community and then he goes and tells them how do you act, how do you interact with people outside of the Christian community. And he says that we are looking as Christ followers we are looking for opportunities to proclaim the mysteries of Christ. As we interact with our community, we are looking for opportunities to proclaim the mystery of Christ, that that we have peace with God, right? That we have an an eternal hope, an eternal uh, hope to, to spend eternity with Jesus in paradise. This is awesome. This is the mystery of Christ, that he died for us, that we can be set free from the law of sin and death, looking for opportunities to do that. But then he goes on and he says this, we are looking for these opportunities through the avenue of peace and not conflict. Mm-hmm. We're looking to proclaim the mysteries of Christ through avenues of peace, not avenues of conflict. It seems to me that he's saying, getting up on our soapbox and declaring right doctrine, no matter how correct it is, that if that pushes away and brings discord in the community, that's not the avenue we're supposed to take. He's calling us to come and bring peace and relationship so that we have opportunities to speak the truth in a way that people can actually receive and that people can actually listen to. I used to work at Little Caesars, and every once in a while, Amber. Worked, that's where Amber and I met is at Little Caesars, very sweet, and uh, uh, Amber, I don't know if you remember, but every once in a while, angry customers would come in, and, and people would be upset about pizza, which is apparently a super big deal in some people's <laughs> lives. And, and so they would come in with the, the angry customers. Sometimes they're rightly upset. Sometimes they're just angry and looking to take it out on somebody. And what I saw as I was looking uh, or watching managers handle these difficult situations is managers handled it in two different ways. The, the first kind of manager would try to prove themselves and go, I don't make mistakes, right? Try to justify their actions, whether right or wrong. The customer could say, hey, wait, I asked for pepperoni and ground beef, and you gave me pepperoni and sausage. Uh, sir, I'm pretty confident you said ground meat and uh, sausage is definitely ground meat. What are you, what are you talking what about? about? Who, who asks for ground meat? That doesn't make any sense. And they go back and forth getting angrier and angrier. Pretty soon, the customer is like, you know what, I don't want this pizza. I'm done here. I'm not coming back. Right? And the, the manager kind of goes like, well, I guess I kind of proved myself right. You know." But we've lost relationship. That person's probably not coming back to Little Caesars. In Portage Kalamazoo, there's a lot of opportunities, a lot of places where you can get Pizza. <laughs> the second kind of manager would say something like, Man, regard you know, regardless of what who was in the wrong, they'd say something like, You yeah, know, I'm so sorry that there was this confusion. Can I can I remake your pizza for you? because um, truth be told, that you know, costs the company about 75 cents, right? <laughs> right? And so it's not this big deal. Can, we, can I make you another pizza? I'll give you $5 off your next pizza. We're so sorry, right? And the customer's happy. You're kind of, uh, they're usually appreciative. You're, you're building this relationship, and now they're like, man, this person cares about me. I'm going to keep coming back to Little Caesar's. Right? And so, which way is the, the better way to handle conflict, right? It's the way of peace. It's the way that we see Jesus handling conflict. It's the way that we see Paul handling conflict. And so we need to ask ourselves, does, does, do my interactions with the community bring peace? Mm, good word. Or am I just bringing more conflict? Well, my doctrine's right. Mm-mm. That's good. Mm-hmm. Or are you bringing peace? so because of Jesus' resurrection, we have peace with God. We're able to, to, to get out of uh, division in the community and live at peace with our community. Within the Christian context, we're able to uh, live at peace in our wider context, our wider community, looking for opportunities to reveal the mysteries of Christ. And we're also called to, to live at peace and to extend the kingdom of peace um, internationally, the the Great Commission was to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. All right, and so man, what can we do to, to bring peace to the ends of the earth? You know, you could, I, you could pay attention to what's going on in the world. That's an idea. What's going on with the, the refugees in, in Samaria? What's going on with these villages in Africa that? They're drinking dirty water and they're they're sick and, and dying. We can pay attention to the needs outside of our little bubble here in western Michigan or northern Indiana, depending on where you live. And, you know, and so it, we can pay attention to what's going on and we can try to get informed, realizing that stuff is going on outside of our world or outside of our little bubble. We can pay attention. We can go. Cameron's going to Japan and just... Uh, Few months, I guess, in November, you go to Japan with Cameron. We're going to go next year. We're going back to Mexico. There's opportunities to go and to serve people all across the world. We can we can pray, you know. After you pay attention, you see what's going on in the world. Pray for them, and we can and we can give, right? That's an easy way. If you give to missions at, at New Day Community Church, we take that and give it out to the I don't know, 10, 12 different missionaries that that we support all over the world, and in Thailand, and Japan, and in Haiti, and in, in a variety of places. All right, so with peace with God, peace with our Christian community, peace with the community within which we live, and we extend peace to our world. And so we have been given this peace supernaturally from Jesus, and we've been sent to bring it into all these spheres of our influence. But how do we do that? What does that look like? What should be our characteristic when we do that? Well, I think that this next part of the scripture, that was just one verse. We're going to have to move along a lot quicker than that for the rest of these. Um, so Jesus goes, uh, There, John, the author, says that Jesus showed them his hands and his sides, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Right, and so we see that the disciples have this encounter with the resurrected Lord Jesus, and their grief, their sorrow, their worry is turned to joy. right Their response of joy it says the disciples were overjoyed. And when something amazing happens, the normal response is to proclaim to the world, right to fit it into every conversation. Last year after the um oh man. The, the Cubs the Cubs won the World Series I couldn't have a conversation with my mother-in-law or my brother-in-law or all of these friends that, that were, were passionate about the, the Cubs without somehow everything reminds them that the Cubs won the World Series, this is amazing right? and that, it was a huge deal and I think it was right to celebrate that you know, it was something that, that should be celebrated but how does that victory compare to the victory right. that we have in Jesus Christ I think one of the main differences is, right, like this World Series victory is kind of unexpected. We've been waiting a long time for this. You know, it's a, it's a big deal. We've heard about the victory of Jesus if we've grown up in the church, right? We've heard that every week at least, every day. And so we're just kind of, it just becomes kind of this normal thing. Like, oh yeah, we have victory in Jesus. I'm not going to hell anymore. This is good, right? But we have to, to and we, we, we tend to lose the, the joy of our salvation. We lose the the joy at the news of his resurrection. And so we need to get ourselves back into the disciples' shoes, right? And remember where we have come from and what Jesus has saved us from. When we remember Wow, I was dead in my sin and trespasses. I was destined for hell, and Jesus came and restored me. Jesus came and He saved my marriage, right? Jesus came and and when I needed a miracle, He was there for me. We and how you know, remember how Jesus has changed you and saved you, and remember the joy. Ask the Lord, God, would you restore to me the joy of my salvation? Because this is something that we should be excited about, that we should be proclaiming every chance that we get. And this joy that we want to cultivate in our lives, this hope and in life, in the resurrection of Jesus, isn't just for us alone, right? I said that earlier. It's this idea of our... our of knowing God, our, our spiritual growth isn't just for us so that we have really fun, quiet times, or we really enjoy worship nights or worship conferences. Or And that's good. We should enjoy those things, but that is not the end. That is not the goal that God's like, man, I really want to, to save you so that you can have some really good Sunday morning services, hmm. right? And I'm not saying that's not important. It absolutely is. But we are called, we are saved, we are empowered, we are filled for the sake of others. And we want to take that joy out into our world. And so, Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And so, okay, great, we remember this, Jesus sending me, uh, and just like he was sent, okay, I can do that. Well, how was Jesus sent into the world? What did Jesus' mission look like? And this is just a, a real quick look through the Gospel of, of John. This doesn't even include any of the, uh, the other Gospels. But Jesus was sent to do his will, the Father's will. Right? We see that. Jesus was sent to speak his words. Jesus says, I, I don't speak of my own accord, but I speak what the Father has, has shown me, was what the Father has said. Jesus comes to perform uh, the Father's works. Jesus comes and, and speaks liberty to the captives. He speaks healing to those who are sick, sight to the blind. Right? He does these amazing works. He came to, to win salvation for all who believe. He came to, to serve the entire world and ultimately to take up his cross and die. This is how Jesus was sent into the world to do the Father's will, to to speak his words, to perform the Father's works, to win salvation for all who believe, to take off his cross and die. And so if we have been sent as Jesus was sent, what is our mission going to look like? It is going to look like this. We have been called to do the Father's will. And that might mean laying down our own will maybe it means that it means that we are to speak the Father's words All Right, this is why we spend time diving into the Bible Right, we, we encourage people to make a, a daily practice of learning the word of God this is why we practice hearing God's voice to, to go God what are you saying what are you doing right now I remember this amazing, this great story. Sarah Gerber, who used to be on staff at New Day, at New day and now she is um, in Bethel with her husband, Seth. She was driving down the, the road in Kalamazoo one day, and she passed this lady mowing her lawn, and she felt like the Lord said, stop and talk to her. And she continued driving a couple of blocks, and she's like, I don't have time for that. And then she felt this conviction you know what? This is the kind of thing that I'm at that we want. Right? We want to hear God's voice. We want to be led by Him. And just because it's not convenient, there's a lot of things that Jesus did that were not convenient. True. And yet He was willing to stop and to serve the least of these. And so Sarah turns around, she goes, uh, you know, goes, goes around the block, comes back and, and talks to the, this woman, ends up having a great conversation and, and praying for her. And it was, I don't know what the outcome was, but the, the point is that Sarah w- was willing to, to stop, get outside of, of her plans and get outside of herself to serve, just like Jesus did. And that is what our you know, extending the, the kingdom looks like. We are sent for the sake of others. We don't win salvation for all who believe. Jesus already did that. Good news. And but we are here to, to bear witness. We, you know, we see throughout the book of Acts that the, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, the, the members of the, the early church, they were consistently and constantly bearing witness, not of Jesus' death, but of Jesus' resurrection. Right? The death is kind of implied there. But the big news for them is that Jesus is alive. He uh, he was dead, but the Lord raised him. He has paid the penalty for our, our sin. Right, We are... And uh, brought back into peace and unity with the Father through the resurrection of Jesus. And so we are called to bear witness to that. and we are called to take up our cross and to follow Jesus. We lay down our lives for the sake of others. And so the obvious question, Should be, of course, well, it's great that that God is sending me to do all these amazing things that that Jesus did, but I'm not Jesus, right? I can't do these miracles. I'm not divine. How am I supposed to do what Jesus did? Well, Jesus, in in our story, says that Jesus breathed on the disciples and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And he he didn't leave the disciples to accomplish this work on their own. They would have probably done a pretty terrible job. No offense, disciples. Right? He's commissioned them, but he doesn't just commission them and say, go figure it out. He commissions them and then gives them the tools. He gives them the power in order to accomplish what he's called them to do. He gave them the promised Holy Spirit, which he had been talking about uh, in, in the Gospel of John for, like, in 14, chapter 14, 15, 16, 17, talks a lot about this promised Holy Spirit. And this Holy Spirit wasn't just for these eleven guys that were scared in this upper room. The Holy Spirit is for each and every one of us as Christ followers. And as and when the when Jesus encounters the, the disciples and, and fills them with the Holy Spirit, he transforms these fearful disciples and brings a supernatural peace. And confidence. And so as the Holy Spirit conquers the disciples' inadequacies, he replaces their worry with peace, he replaces their fear with joy and courage. The Holy Spirit is going to conquer each and every one of our inadequacies. Praise the Lord. And we're going to talk a lot about this over the next few months. So this is just a kind of a quick overview, right? But if if you know we have a variety of inadequacies, I have a lot of them. You know, but if, if, we are, if we're lazy, right? the Holy Spirit will bring self-control. If we are angry, the Holy Spirit brings love. If we're selfish, the Holy Spirit brings compassion. If we're sad, the Holy Spirit brings joy. If you're hopeless, the Holy Spirit brings hope. He gives you whatever you need. Your, your weaknesses are made strong in Him. Mm-hmm. Good. And then He empowers us. Right? In, in Acts 8, Jesus says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so our job is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Right, to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And that's not just a one-time experience. Right? Paul tells us to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. So we need to be pursuing that. How do we get filled up with the Holy Spirit? We need that, because without it, we are ineffective witnesses. We cannot accomplish what Jesus called us to do. And it takes all this pressure off of us, right? It's the Holy Spirit's job to convince the world of righteousness, sin, and judgment. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts of sin. We don't have to do that, though we love that part of the job sometimes, right? Our job is to serve. Our job is to love. Our job is to pursue peace and look for opportunities to reveal the mystery of Christ. So, we'll wrap up here. The Lord has sent me, and he has sent you, to bring the message of peace, the message of the resurrected Jesus to the world. We've been saved, we've been transformed, not just for ourselves, but for the sake of the world. And we don't want to take this lightly. We don't want to make an an excuse for for why this call for Jesus Christ, this commission, isn't for us. And so we're going to be spending the next few months talking about how we can do this better, how we can grow in this, how we can fit this into our lives. But we want to kick this off by remembering that we have been sent just as Jesus sent the disciples. You are sent to, to bring... The message of peace, to be ambassadors of the kingdom to your friends, to your family, to your community, and to our world.